from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. John chapter 1 this morning. John chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. In just a few minutes, we'll be down in verse 6 through verse 13. And this morning, the Sunday school plug is going to come earlier than usual in the sermon. All right? Every week, one Sunday school plug per sermon. Here it is, because the introductory part of the Sunday school lesson ties in nicely with this passage of Scripture. And the question was basically, uh, the introductory story was about a Buffalo's Bills uh, and Houston Oilers game somewhere in the 90s that uh, uh, Houston was winning by uh, a, a wide margin, and many people left not thinking that Buffalo would come back. But what happens, right? Buffalo came back. And so then we started telling all the stories about how, you know, we, we left the Duke-Wake Forest game because one was losing and listened to it in the car as, as the team came back. And, and the way that ties in to the lesson this morning is if somebody was there who could have just nudged you and said, don't leave, you don't want to miss what's about to happen. You wouldn't have left the football game. You wouldn't have left the basketball game. Last night, you know that we went to the Paul McCartney concert and, and we got there and, and I wanted a t-shirt and we got there. The lines were awful to get a t-shirt. And, and I was sitting there. I was thinking, maybe I'll leave, you know, when he takes a break. He never took a break, but I kept thinking, well, I could go now, but I didn't want to go. I didn't, I didn't want to miss anything because I didn't want to get back and then land and look at me and go, do you know what you missed? Right? If you know you're going to miss something, you wouldn't leave. You wouldn't do something else. But we all have those times in our lives where we miss something, where if somebody had just nudged us, it would have made a huge difference. Now, my actual introductory story was Bitcoin. It wasn't on the Sunday school. It wasn't on the concert. It was Bitcoin. Had you invested in Bitcoin in 2010, when Bitcoin, you could have gotten four Bitcoins for a penny, Right? If you had just invested $100, you'd have over $29 million today. But if you're like me, you had no one beside you nudging you going, hey, you might want to pay attention to this Bitcoin thing. It's going to pay off in the long run. Because sometimes we hear the message, but what we needed was somebody before the message or before what happened to nudge us to tell us to pay attention so that we really see and hear the message. Because what's about to happen is going to be amazing and you don't want to miss it. These eight verses in the Gospel of John is that same thing. John is writing and he's telling the world to pay attention. He's saying that God is getting ready to speak to the world in a way that He has never spoken to the world before. And God really, really, really wants you to hear this message. So much so that He's going to send a messenger to prepare the world to hear the message that He is about to send. He's about to send the light into the world. And so He sends John the Baptist to tell everybody, hey, the light is about to come in the world, but God is about to do something amazing. Be prepared for God to move. And this is what John writes in verses 6 through 13. 
He says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And as you read those eight verses this morning, I've just got it divided up into two sections, just two things to kind of frame our study this morning. And it is the words preparation and reception. Because what John tells us first, he says, he shows us the preparation for the light to come into the world. Okay? He, he, he says, there was a man sent from God. And there's two very important words in that sentence. And the first one is man. Okay? It's, it, it's just the word man. Because before this, as he has been talking in verses 1 through 5, John has been discussing Jesus. The, the, the eternally existent Jesus Christ. And at this point, you've got to remember, we're not in verse 14. We come to John 1, and we immediately want to go to verse 14, and the Word became flesh. We're not there yet. So in this transition from where he has been discussing who Jesus is to now talking about the preparation for Jesus coming, he wants to make it very clear that the person who is about to deliver this message is just a man. So don't, don't be confused. There's no confusion here. The messenger who is coming first is not God. The messenger who is coming first is not the light. And John says he is coming with the message. Now, it just happens to be John. right? It, it, again, I know it's kind of tricky with John the Baptist and, and, and John the, the author of the Gospel. But this is who he is talking about. And he's telling us that the person who was coming, this man, his name is John. And when you read that, what is missing there is, again, the word Baptist. He is not called John the Baptist in John's Gospel. We call him John the Baptist. I'm going to call him John the Baptist so you don't get confused which John I'm talking about. In the Gospel of John, he does not call him John the Baptist. He just calls him John. And you might go, why is that? And that's a good question, which we'll get to in just a moment. But secondly, he says that this person coming is a man, but then he says he is sent by God. There was a man sent from God. This man who was coming, this person John, is coming as a divinely sent messenger to carry out God's specific purpose. Turn back to uh, Luke chapter 1 for just a moment. We're not going to read all of this, but let's just track through Luke chapter 1 for just a moment. And this is the birth of John the Baptist. In verse 7, we have been introduced to his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But in verse 7, we're told this about them. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced 
in years. Now, that's a problem on two fronts. They have no children, and they are old, so they have no promise or hope for a child. We continue to read down through there, and we are told that uh, Zechariah is a priest, and one day he's, he's working in the temple, and the, message, the angel Gabriel appears to him and says in verse 14 through 17, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Then down in verse 14, you will have joy and gladness. You will rejoice at his birth because your wife Elizabeth, even though y'all are both old and advanced in years and Elizabeth is barren, you're going to have a son and you shall call his name John. So even before he is born, even before John the Baptist is born, there's already been a special calling on his life. There's already going to be a special way that, that he is, he is born. And everybody would have known about John the Baptist's birth because of that two fact that Elizabeth was barren and they were old. So how did this old barren lady have a child? Well, God, as we have seen over and over through scriptures, divinely steps in and Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. So John, the gospel writer, then is affirming that the message that John the Baptist is about to deliver is authoritative because he's been set apart. John the Baptist is, is, is basically an Old Testament prophet who were called by God, right? Who, who came and said, thus says the Lord. They came to deliver God's message. Now, God made sure in His Word that you knew who his messenger was. You don't have to turn there, but Deuteronomy chapter 18 through uh, 18, 20 through 22. So if somebody stood up and said, hey, I'm a prophet sent by God, thus says the Lord, right? Because let's be honest, anybody could say that. Some random person in Israel wandering through the wilderness could be decided, hey, you know what? I don't like going this path anymore. I want to go down south. I want to go camp out at the sea. I don't like being in the desert. Hey, thus says the Lord, turn south. Let's go down to the sea and, and camp out there. But in Deuteronomy 18 through 20, 18, 20 through 22, God says that if a prophet comes and, and they speak, Right, He says, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. Again, the prophet is speaking for God. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of them. But then in verse 20, but the prophet who pres presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? All right, so are you tracking along? Somebody steps up and says, this God says, or somebody who has not been commissioned by God stands up and says, thus says the Lord. Now, as you are hearing that, you're going, well, how do I know? How, how God, am I going to be able to determine if this prophet is speaking for you or not? Verse 22. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. All right. 
God says, if somebody comes up and says, this is what you need to do, and this is going to happen, and it doesn't come to pass, then don't listen to the prophet. Don't even be afraid of him. He's not speaking to me. You can ignore his message. The problem was when the prophet showed up speaking for the Lord, delivering God's message, it comes to pass, and then you choose to ignore the message. You need to be afraid. So God has incorporated in His Word a way to tell whether or not the person speaking the message is actually speaking for God. So what does this have to do with John? Well, as you are looking through and you're following through with what John is, the Gospel writer is writing, he is saying the person who is about to speak has been divinely sent by God. Everything surrounding his birth is true. Everything that he is going to speak is true. He's not going to be like one of those Old Testament pop-up-on-the-scene prophets who you don't need to listen to. You need to listen to what John is about to say. You need to obey it, and you need to believe it. Because if you ignore it, you're ignoring it at your own peril. So what message is John being sent to proclaim? Well, look down in verse 7. It says he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Three times in that verse, the word witness is used. Why does John not call him John the Baptist? Because in the Gospel of John, John, the author of the Gospel, is more focused on John's witness than on the fact that he baptized. Right? In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is really John the witness. And while, yes, the Baptist of, of Jesus is important in all the other Gospels, John here doesn't mention it. That's not his focus. John is the witness, which means he has a specific purpose given to John the, John the Baptist. And, and that's it. He's going to be a witness. And John, the author of the gospel, uses that word witness 35 times. So as you go through the gospel, he's going to call our attention over and over to this truth about being a witness. And in fact, what you're going to find out is there are seven different witnesses that the author, that John, the writer of the gospel, calls our attention to. And John the Baptist is the first one. Now, thanks to Court TV... We know what a witness is, right? I don't really understand court TV. I don't know why you wouldn't want to watch a trial. I don't know why America is fascinated with the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. I really don't. I don't know why they're broadcasting that. It's kind of sad to watch if you ask me. But as a witness, you are called to give testimony as a means to substantiate the truth. Right? I've never been a witness in a trial. Anybody been a witness in a trial? I, I've never been a I've, I've never been a witness. I hope to never be a witness because that means I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I don't want to be there. Right? But before you take the witness stand, right, you put your hand on the Bible and raise your right hand. I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. At, at least that's what they do on TV. I'm assuming they do that in real life as well. And when you do that, now this is really important. When you do that. 
You're there to establish the truth, but at the same time, when you take that oath, you then become, by definition, not a neutral person in the trial. Have you ever thought about that? Witnesses are not neutral. That's why you have witnesses for the prosecution and you have witnesses for the defense. Because you're not neutral. You're, you're, you're taking a stand. And when you testify in, 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 in the court and you say, I'm going to tell the truth, if you don't, you're in trouble. Right? You get in trouble for perjury. So as, as God is preparing the world for Jesus, He's going to send John the Baptist, who's going to be the messenger who is acting as a divine witness to the light. Everything that He does, everything that He does, is to point the way to Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn back there, but if you're still in Luke, verse 76 down to verse 79. This is Zechariah's prophecy uh, uh, that he prophesies through the Holy Spirit. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of, path, of the path. So John's message is to prepare the world by being a witness that the light is coming into the world so that he testifies in everything that he does, from his preaching to the way he lives to his baptizing people. Everything is to point everybody to Christ. John is not trying to draw his attention to himself. He is trying to draw attention to Jesus. He's trying to prepare the world. Because when we think about it, God has been quiet for 400 years. You go back to Malachi chapter 4, 4 through 6, and you read those messages, those verses, and they're not verses of hope. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of destruction. And the last thing that they have from the prophets is the word destruction. And then for 400 years, God is silent in sending the prophets, and he's about to speak again, so he wants to get everybody's attention, kind of like wake them up. Hey, listen, 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 listen. I'm getting ready to speak again. And I'm going to speak differently than, than, than I've ever spoke before. I'm not going to speak through dreams. I'm not going to speak through a prophet. I'm going to speak through Jesus Christ, the Word becoming flesh. So pay attention. I, I want you to hear this. I'm not indifferent to you. Right? I bet the Israelites thought that God was indifferent. You ever think that God's indifferent to you? You pray and He doesn't seem to answer or doesn't listen. And you, you have this idea that God, God is indifferent to me. And, and we know that He's not. John the Baptist coming to pre prepare the way tells us that the opposite is true, that God cannot care more. He cares so much about people wanting to hear the message and want people to turn and respond to the light then he's sending the messenger firsthand to prepare the world. Right? There's never been a time where God has not spoken. He's always spoken. He's always sent light. 
You go to Romans 1, 18 through 20, and you read that the, the Word created all things and inherent in the invisible attributes of creation is God's fingerprints. So He gives the light of general revelation to the Israelites. He gave the light of the covenant and the law, and now He's giving one more light, and this is the great and awesome light where all the other lights are pointing to. He's given the light of Jesus Christ. And He wants everybody to hear. Right? Look at what it says. He's coming to bear witness. Why? That all might believe through Him. So that when John the Baptist preaches about the light and the light comes and Jesus sets foot on the earth, that Jesus starts preaching the message of repentance, that all might believe the message. And God sends John the Baptist to make sure that the world is ready to hear the message. Because He's sending a witness to point to Jesus. Which leads to an absolutely wonderful question, does it not? Which is, how is your witness? Right? Are we not anything different? We're, we're not one of the seven witnesses in the Gospel of John, but are we not called to be a witness? Acts 1.8 says that you will be my what? You will be my witness. we got to do the same thing. And just like John the Baptist, we're not pointing to ourselves. We're, we're acting as a witness testifying to the truth of the gospel of who Jesus Christ is and pointing everybody to Jesus so that through our witness they may believe in Christ. That same work of preparation. As we tell the gospel and prepare people to hear so that they will believe. And as John writes that, he says, all right, the world is prepared. And then he, he kind of gives you a little foreshadowing glimpse. He says, so let me now tell you about the reception of the light in the world. He says four different times that the light comes into the world. You look down in verse 9 and verse 10. He was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world and yet the world. He keeps drawing our attention to that, right? There's a great contrast now between the Word and the world. The Word, who in the beginning created the world, is now stepping out of eternity onto the very earth, the world that He created. That's amazing, isn't it? And it says that He was coming to His own. All right, verse 11. He came to His own. And, and it's... it's that connotation there really is, is, is more like he's coming home. Right? He, he, he's coming home. And he's coming as a recognizable person. He's about to step out of church. I mean, think about it. this. This is going to sound silly. And, and I kind of mean it to be, but at the same time, draw attention. Jesus didn't step into creation as an alien, did he? He stepped into creation looking like man. And at the same time, he steps out of creation or steps out of eternity onto his creation and he doesn't show up in Asia. He doesn't show up in Africa. He doesn't show up in North America. Where does he show up? He shows up in the covenant land of Israel. He comes home to his own people that he had been preparing for thousands of years to recognize the Messiah. 
And their reaction is heartbreaking. Look at what John writes. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine for a moment that you've been going from home for some time. And you can't wait to get back home. Right? You're ready to, to walk through that door and you're ready for husband, wife, kids, family, just, just to, to come and, and grab you and give you hugs and kisses and say, we're so glad that you are home. Imagine what you'd feel like if you walked through that door and there's just nothing. There, there, there's no recognition. Not even, oh, you're home early. It's just, it's just like, who are you? Why are you here? And you're like, well, you knew I was coming, right? You would go, hey, this was the calendar. I left on this day and I was coming back on this day. You knew I was coming back and the people in the house were just looking. Yeah, but who are you? That's what John is telling us here. Jesus, who has been preparing His people through the prophecies, through the Scriptures, to recognize the Messiah, the Messiah comes home looking like them in the covenant land of Israel, and the people go, Who are you? I, I don't I don't I don't recognize you. The light came into the world and they rejected it. Now we got to be careful because we, we we can't do what we usually do, right? We read stories about Peter. I, I would, I would never be like Peter, and I'm over here going, I'm gonna be just like Peter, right? We read stories like, well, if I was if I was alive then, I, I would have recognized the Messiah. I, I would have known it was Jesus. We'd like to think that we would. However, let's think back personally for just a moment. How many times did we hear the gospel message before we understood it? And we moved from that point to where we were able to say, Jesus is Lord. Right? And the reason why it takes more than one time to hear the gospel is because the world's typical response to the light is not, yes, send the light. The typical response to hearing the light is to want more of the darkness. Because the world is a dark place. And if we were to be really honest with ourselves, the first few times we heard the gospel, somebody called you a sinner? I'm not a sinner. Well, you just lied, so you're a liar anyway. Right? We didn't like it. Even today, you may have been saved for however long. And I walk up to you and go, you're just a big old fat sinner. You are not going to like that. Nobody does. Darkness does not like the light. And the world is a dark place. And it continues to be a dark place. The world, as we have seen from the very beginning, we don't need to look now. We can look throughout history. The world's since Genesis chapter 3, has been in rebellion to the Creator and to truth. And it continues to live in that rebellion. And it's not that, that you know, it's not an indifference. I mean, it's, it's active rebellion against our Creator. 
However, even with our rebellion against the Creator, God was not indifferent towards His creation. Isn't that amazing? Most people who are hostile to you, you kind of stay away from and hope to be at least indifferent, if not just out and out of void, right? Here the entire creation is hostile towards God, but God is not indifferent to His people. He's still going to move. He's still going to act. And He still wants the people to hear the message. So He sends John the Baptist to prepare the way for the light of Jesus Christ. And the witness comes and He starts testifying that Jesus is coming and the world says no. The world says no. And you go, that's just, that's sad. It's depressing. I still maintain, and, and I will say it again, we, we didn't uh, mention the, the, the shooting in, in Buffalo last week, and, and people, it always amazes me. People always try to find, well, why would this person do that? Why would this person do that? Well, the world's a dark place. The world is a sinful place. And then, then after they, they start turning the conversation from uh, why would a person do that to, to what needs to happen so that that doesn't happen again. And, and I'll, I mean, just the, the ideas and the rules and we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And, and I'm sitting here going, pick me. Pick me. I got the answer. The answer is Christ. The answer is the gospel. Because only through the gospel will it turn an evil heart into a heart that is on fire for God. There is nothing else you can do. There is no other philosophy. There is no other formula. There is no other law. There's nothing that you can do. You want to stop hatred and evil? You preach the gospel. The gospel is the only answer. That's it. And, and, and God is saying the, the, the light is about to come into the world and, and people don't want to hear the light. They don't want to hear the gospel. And so they reject it. And we see that. John's, the people in John's time saw that. We see it. And it sounds very distressing. And it would be, or it, it is. However, John doesn't stop there. Because at now we see that there's kind of a contradiction, right? He's sending the light so that people will believe. Wait a minute, the people aren't believing. But then John says, wait a minute, some do believe. You look down at verses 12 through 13. But, and that's, that's a strong but. We just have one but in the English language. I was going to Food Lion, but I went to Ingalls. And it doesn't really, it just means I changed my mind. This is a strong uh, uh strong adversative that says pay attention all this happened but something better happened and that was that some did receive him they believed in his name again there's that theme of believe that john will come back to over and over and he gave what he gave the right to become the children of god see the salvation is offered to all john is making very clear salvation is offered to all when john was writing though Salvation wasn't offered to everybody. You had to be part of the right group, the right school, the right philosophy, the right cult. Only then could you be saved. And if you were outside 
There was nothing that you could do. Right Now compare that with what God's Word has said. Even from the very beginning, when He called Abraham and He set him up as the father of the Jewish people, He made provisions for people who were not ethnically Jews to be part of the kingdom of God. And John, the writer of the Gospel, is just reiterating that. That the message of salvation stands for all people. You don't have to be part of a certain people. There is no people... No people group that has ever lived or ever will live that is outside of salvation that God has offered. So when the light comes into the world, He is offering salvation to everyone. That is the magnitude of God's grace. It's absolutely amazing to think of. And it says they have to believe. They have to believe the amazing truth that the Word became flesh and came into the world and receive in faith through Jesus Christ who He is. And you will be saved. And then you live your life accordingly. That the One who created everything has the power to reach into your life, reach into your dark, evil heart, and radically change it. So now instead of being alienated from God, you're in relationship with God. It says verse 12, all those who believe in His name. He makes us a child of God. He gives us a new status. Completely different. And it's not something that we could do. Look at how John phrases it. He says, who were not born of blood. So this this new status of being a child of God, it's not through a natural birthing process. Right? Some of you, we'll just take Luther Terry, have tremendous history when it comes to people in your family who were Christians. But it didn't make you one when you were born. You can't go back to your godly great-grandmother and say, well, she was a Christian, so I am too. It doesn't put you in that. Not, not of blood. Then it says, nor of the will of the flesh. Human desire, just the desire to be a son of God doesn't make you that, right? I could desire all day long to be the son of a billionaire. And it's not going to happen. It does not make me a son of a billionaire. So there's nothing in my flesh that can do it. Nor the will of man. So there's no personal effort. I can't do enough, be enough. So here's John writing... And says, God is about to speak. He's sending the messenger to prepare the way to the, for the light. So when the light comes in, that if you will believe in His name, you believe the message, He's going to make you a child of God. And it's not going to be because of the way you are born. It's not going to be because of your desire. It's not going to be because of what you do. It's only going to happen because of, it says here, the will of God. And when we read that, at first it seems harsh, does it not? Right? We live in this, this, this society and this age where our mentality is, you know, I, I, for me to do it, I've got to be able to do something to attain it, right? This, this, you know, to attain something that completely removes me from the equation doesn't make sense. We, we, we want to, we want to do something. I want to, Give the most to the church. 
feel free. Just smug. Just, just kidding. I, I want to bring my the, the biggest study Bible with red letters and tabbed index that I can bring. I want to be at every mission outreach that the church is involved in. Feel free. Right? We want to we want to do something. And as John the gospel writer is saying, there's nothing that you can do. There is absolutely nothing that you can do. And you know what? That is the absolute beauty of the gospel. That you can't do anything. That there is no human effort. That God knew, even in your darkness, even while you were still a sinner, even while you were still a sinner, God wanted you enough that He would do the something that you can't do. Right? I'm so tempted to ask how many anybody break one of the Ten Commandments on the way to church this morning. You know, just just to prove to remind us that that, that we can't do it, that that it's impossible. So God does the something. And the something is sending the light into the world so that He can shine into the darkness, make way the path for the people to come to God and be made children of God. And through Jesus, we are. Because Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. And when we sing that in just a couple minutes, notice that you're not in the chorus. You didn't do anything. But thanks be to God, Jesus did. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.